Welcome to this podcast from Central, Jesus at the Heart. More information is available from www.jesusattheheart.org. I wonder if you'd take a Bible, if you have one, and turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3. If you're not familiar with the Bible, Exodus is the second book of the Bible. If you go all the way to the left, you'll come to Genesis and then you'll get to Exodus. And uh, we're going to continue a series that we've, uh, we've called Heroes, the Heroes of, our, of Faith. And, um, and really the whole series is um, based on an understanding that God, the Holy Spirit, wants to embolden our bold and encourage our courage. That one of the greatest gifts that the Holy Spirit can give us in this generation is courage. Because the reality is most of us know exactly what we should do, but we don't have the courage to do it. I mean, there are occasions when you don't know what to do, but for the most of the time, you know what you should do. But most of us don't have the courage to put into practice the things that God is asking us to do to become the people that God is asking us to be. At the heart of this courage that God wants to give is this this incredible thing called faith. And the writer to the Hebrews, as we've been studying in Hebrews chapter 11 and Hebrews chapter 12, describes what faith is. And he or she says, faith is taking God at his word. And faith is speculating on God's power. In other words, faith is saying, I'm going to trust that God is going to be who he said he's going to be and he's going to do what he said he's going to do. I'm banking the whole of my life on on that reality. And I'm going to trust that God is exactly who he always was and he can do the things that he always used to do that I'm going to speculate on his power, his power that lives in me. In other words, I'm going to bank the whole of the weight of my life on the belief in my heart that God is a good, good father and he's still alive and he's still doing stuff. In other words, faith is the ability to posture yourself between the promises of God and the fulfillment of the promises of God with praise instead of fear. Faith is the ability, let me say that again, for you to posture yourself between the promises of God and the fulfillment of the promises of God with expectation and not anxiety because God is God and he's a good God and he has incredible plans for our lives. So all I want to do and what we want to do over this series is encourage courage and embolden bold and call out faith. Now, when you're beginning to teach a series like this, one of the things that happens is that as a preacher, you begin to realize that you have to put into practice the things you're about to speak. Um, And if you don't put into practice the things you're about to speak, the Holy Spirit, sometimes in the form of your wife, will tell you that these things are not actually true. And, and Nikki occasionally says things like, things to me like, you need to get some new stories, love. Because, you know, you just basically, all this kind of story. And one, one of the stories that I tell, one of the narratives that I have is that I'm a rubbish traveling speaker. And I tell this everywhere I go. I, I usually start off with this, you know, you shouldn't have invited me, you know. I, I, I struggle. I'm not a five o'clock in the morning prayer guy. I, um, and I don't have an airplane testimony. 
which is, you know, if you're a traveling international speaker, you should have an airplane testimony. You should have led at least 10 people to the Lord on different international flights, healed a number of people, and had incredible prophetic words. But when I get on a plane, I just want to watch movies. I'm just, as many as I can, as many male movies as I can, because I just get to watch chick flicks back home. I just, I just want to watch Taken, one, two, three, one after another. Ah, you know, the whole... The, that's what I want to do. And, 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 and I think that the Holy Spirit through my wife convicted me. And, and I was at a conference and I just felt the Lord saying, come on. If you're going to encourage people in boldness and courage, you better have some more boldness and courage. And so I was flying <laughs> from Glasgow to Dublin to go to a conference in a place called Sligo, which I thought was about half an hour outside of Dublin. Those of you who know, it's not half an hour outside of Dublin. It's like three and a half hours outside of Dublin. And, and I get on this plane, and I said to God, hey, if you want me to have an aeroplane testimony, I'm so up for it. I'll, I'll have a conversation. I'll, I'll, do, I'll, do, I'll do whatever, because I want to embolden my bold and take you at your word. I want to have faith. And uh, the, the um, stewardess comes on the thing and says the, the flight is totally booked and, you know, everyone needs to put their things up and above and all this kind of stuff because it's totally booked and it's, uh, it's an Aer Lingus flight. And there's nobody sitting next to me, which generally I think, bonus, because I have the longest legs in Christendom and I can't fit them anywhere in these usual things. So I'm thinking, bonus, I can just spread out. And then there's a bit of a kerfuffle behind me. Two or three rows behind, and somebody's obviously sitting in somebody else's seat. And the girl who was obviously, you know, un- unhel- unhelpfully the guy had sat in her seat, said something like, oh, I'll just go and sit next to him. So she comes and sits next to me. I think, uh-huh. She's about 25 years of age, and let's say we'll call her Sam. Because my wife told me today I should stop using real names. So we'll call her Sam. And Sam comes and sits next to me, and I say to Sam, hey... Are you, are you traveling home? Because she had an Irish accent. It was a clue. And she said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I work in medical, uh, I'm a medical rep and I travel around, but I'm going home for the weekend. She said, what do you do? I said, I'm a priest. <laughs> I thought, you know, maybe she'll, she's like, oh, a priest, yes, yeah, so I'm a priest. She said, what are you doing flying? Because priests don't fly. We walk on, <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> and this conversation about flying, and, and I said, what are you doing? I said, I'm speaking at this conference. She says, well, what are you doing? She says, I haven't spoken to a priest since I was about 12 years of age in my confirmation thing, and, and I just don't go to church. And by the way, science has disproved God. And I said, ah, interesting. And we had this conversation, and I started to explore whether maybe current scientific thinking, which changes, might be disproved by God. And we had this whole conversation, and we, she goes, I never thought of that. And then she's reading something, and she asked me some questions about it, and she asked me how I can be sure of faith. And I end up sharing Jesus with her, and I say to her just before we're about to stop the conversation, hey, if you're really interested, because she said that her nana was really religious, if you're really interested then you should read maybe the Bible. She said, oh, I've read the Bible. It was weird. It's kind of Ezekiel I read, and it was weird. I said, Ezekiel is weird. Um, and so we had this conversation, and then she, I said, why don't you get the message Bible, which you might really be able to understand, and why don't you read Mark's gospel and just check out Jesus? And, and I believe if you say to God, I want to know you, 
And if you're real, I want to have a relationship with you. As you begin to read Mark's gospel, if you're real about it, he will reveal himself. And then the conversation just got awkward. I mean, what do you, where do you go from there? It just, and, and she's a 25-year-old girl, and I'm a 40-something-year-old man. And, and, and I just thought, oh, it's a bit awkward. And so I, I, I realized that I probably needed to stop the conversation. I started to read. And I said to God, it's awkward. I can't start the conversation again. You're going to have to prompt her to start the conversation again if she wants the conversation. About four or five minutes into me reading, she says, I hope you don't mind, but I've got one other thing just to say. And she said, do you know, it's weird. I had a relationship and my relationship has stopped and I got on the plane and I'm not sure if it was a prayer or whatever it was, but I, I said, I feel really lost. I feel really purposeless. I'm looking for something. I don't know what it is. Do you think it's a coincidence that I sat next to you? She said. I said, no, I don't. I think maybe it's not. And I said, would you like me to pray for you? She said, yeah, and she gave me her hand. So I'm holding a hand like this, hoping nobody else is watching and taking pictures. I'm hold, holding a hand like this, and we pray. And, and, and I asked the Lord to reveal himself to her. Now, she wasn't ready right there and then, but I think she's close. I think she's close. And the reason I tell you that story, and she took my uh, details, and I'm hoping that we correspond, and she might even be listening tonight. That's why I changed her name. But here's the thing. All over our city and our nation and our world, there are millions of Sams. There are millions of Johns. There are hundreds of thousands of Ewans. It's not as popular as name as Sam and John. <laughs> who just are desperate to know God. I'll tell you why. Because their heavenly father created them with a God responder mechanism in their heart and life. And they're always going to ache and they're always going to search and they're always going to hunger until they get connected to the creator of the universe because they are a creation. And the world is waiting for us to take our place with boldness and with courage. It's, this, I'm going off tangent a little bit, but there, there's... That the whole of Hebrews chapter 11 and Hebrews chapter 12 is weirdly predicated on an understanding that even those people who came before us, those people who never saw the promises fulfilled, are still waiting for us to take our place. we got to finish the race for them to finish their race, if that's not too weird. They're saying, come on! There are millions of people who need to know God. There's a, there's a nation that needs transformed. There's something that you've got to do in your lifetime. Take your place because of Sam and because of all the Sams. So all I want to do is encourage your courage and embolden your bold because these stories should be hourly, daily, when we're sharing our faith. We're going to take a look at the story of Moses tonight, and uh, and the story of Moses uh, is is covered for us in in brief in Hebrews chapter eleven. In fact, Moses gets a chunk 
Lots of other people get a slither, but Moses gets a chunk. He gets like five or six verses, and it's all about faith and what, what, what happens. But, but actually, we won't really hear the story. So I want us to go back to Exodus chapter 3 and Exodus chapter 4. And if you haven't got a Bible, has anyone not got a Bible who wants a Bible? Because we've got, we've got Bibles. This is a church. We have Bibles. If you'd like to get a Bible, put your hand up and someone will bring you a Bible as we open it up. Because you're going to need to follow it a little bit. Exodus chapter 3 and Exodus chapter 4. And some of us know the story really well. Some of us don't know the story so well, but most of us have seen the movie. So I need to just kind of, there you go. Joe needs a Bible down the front here. I just just want to recap this stuff for us just a little bit. Moses has lived a miracle life. There's a sense in which he was spared for a purpose. And you remember that that he lived for the first 40 years of his life in Pharaoh's palaces in Egypt. And for 40 years... God had preserved his life and he was the man. He was like one of the top guys in Egypt. But he, but he knew that he didn't belong. He knew that he was of the line of Israel. He knew that he was a child of Israel. And he knew that he had a heritage. And he saw his family and his people enslaved. And so he, he continues to, to, to be burdened for them. And then one day, with the right, I think, motive... But with the wrong action, he murders an Egyptian out of his frustration. And in fear, he runs to the desert. And for 40 years, he's been in the palace. And then for 40 years, he hangs out in the desert. When he gets to the desert, he meets a man called Jethro, who's going to become his father-in-law. He doesn't know he's going to become his father-in-law at the time. But he he begins to work for Jethro, who's a shepherd. The shepherd of a priest and shepherd of Midian. And Moses then marries the daughter, and probably one day he knows he's going to inherit his father's business. And so he's got, he's 80 years of age. He's got this this perfect little life in the desert, but I think in his best moments he thought, this is okay. It's not great. It's not what the promise was for. It's not what I was supposed to live for. It's not the ambition I've got in my heart, but it's, it's okay. It'll do. It's not what I dreamt of. But it's okay. I wonder if some of you feel a little bit like that. It's okay. Got my my life planned out for me. I've got a few. I got a job. I've got you know. I've got some relationships. It's it's okay. But but it's it's not what I dreamt of. It's not a thing that God put His finger on my life for. And Moses is, I think, a bit like that. He's in the wilderness. Actually, if you follow the authorized version of the Bible, he's in a place called the backside of the desert, which I just, I just love that phrase. He's in the backside of the desert tending another man's flock. And in the middle of the busyness of life, with no sense of purpose, God showed up. Moses is in the, is in the backside of nowhere in God's presence, and God is getting ready to make a somebody out of a nobody that everybody had long forgotten. So God shows up. Let's let's read together. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro. And suddenly the angel of the Lord appeared to him as a blazing fire in a bush. Moses was amazed because the bush was engulfed in flames, but it didn't burn up, which must have freaked him. God gets his attention. Changed everything. Moses had lived in the desert for 40 years. And for 40 years, he had woken up for 14,600 mornings. He had woken up to exactly the same scene. He'd seen it every single time. But this time, there was something different. 
And the something different changed everything. And, and all I want to do today is to teach the simplest sermon probably I've ever taught. Two points. They're not, they're not going to vex your mind very much. But maybe they will encounter your heart. First point is this. God calls people to serve him. That's what God does. Implication, there is no passengers in the kingdom of God. There are no consumers in the kingdom of God. The moment that you come to faith in God through Jesus, you get to serve him. You get to serve him with everything you've got. Every single person. There's no kind of division between what we sometimes call clergy and laity. In fact, that's a piece of nonsense according to the scriptures. That everybody gets to serve God. And, and God takes unlikely people with unlikely pasts and propels them into extraordinary tasks. Because Moses is a murderer. And I guess if you were Moses, you were thinking... God hasn't said anything significant about my life for 40 years. I mean, if he, if he had, we'd have, we'd have had it in the scriptures. And maybe he's just totally forgotten about me. Maybe, maybe my past is just too bad. Maybe there's no hope. Maybe I'm just going to be in Midian tending sheep for my father-in-law until one day I take on the business. But God shows up. And when God shows up, what he wants to do is take the ordinary and make it extraordinary. What he wants to do is to take the purposeless stuff and make it purposeful. He wants to exchange deserts for promised lands, and God shows up. Moses, verse 4, take your shoes off. Verse 5, because this is holy ground, I'm God. Verse 6, I know what's going on with my people in Egypt. Verse 7, 8, and 9, and I'm going to free them, and in order to free them, I'm sending you. God calls people to serve him which is not rocket science. But I, I, I'm sort of going to go tangentially for a moment and say serving God is not an exclusive business. There are no kind of ranks in serving God. Everyone gets the play. And, and I think probably as a church, we know that theoretically, but experientially we may have some issues still. So now, certainly I grew up in, 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 a, in a church scene where there were definite ranks of serving God. There was the Premier League. If you were in the Premier League, you were called to be a pastor, a worship leader, an evangelist, or a youth pastor. Well, youth pastor was probably championship, but, you know. <laughs> Andy. Um, you know, but, but, but if you were in the Premier League, you had a full-time call to ministry. And then you were definitely in the Premier League, and you worked really hard at it. And, and maybe, maybe in our culture you weren't as honored, but you definitely knew you were serving God. Championship. Well, that was um, calls like doctor, nurse, social worker, teacher. You know, obviously you weren't good enough to be a pastor or, or a worship leader, but, but these were kind of noble tasks that you were allowed to do because you were serving people, and clearly there wasn't a lot of money involved, but you were serving people. And, and then we sort of began to realize that other things were acceptable, but they were definitely lower division stuff. So, so, so then you could, you could maybe be in business or finance, particularly if you tithed, um, uh, we're still not sure about lawyers or bankers, but we'll, 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 we'll get there. But the point is this. The point is this. This is absolute nonsense according to God because everything is spiritual. Everything is spiritual. It, it, it doesn't matter whether, whether you are a mother who stays at home or a, a banker who makes millions, a hedge fund manager, 
or whether you're a carpenter, or whether you're a farmer, or whether you're a policeman. These things are not fundamentally important to God. He has chosen you and called you with purpose to be the person that God's called you to be. Your backstory is perfectly aligned so that you can play into your big story. That, that's who God, it's not like God the Father says to God the Son and God the Holy Spirit when they're having a chat, let's go do something secular. Because <laughs> that doesn't work, does it? Everything is spiritual with God. It's not like God says, do you know, the glory of God shall cover the earth in all the areas where the pastors are. No, no, no. The glory, of earth shall, the glory of God shall cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. It's not that God says, do you know what? I'm only about restoring things that are to do with the church. So, no, no. I'm about to restore all things. I'm, I'm bringing everything back to calibrate it to its original design. And therefore, I need young men and old men and women who totally love me to be involved in every arena of culture because everything is spiritual. Everybody gets to serve. Any other understanding, we've shrunk the kingdom, we've decreased the power of the church, and we've demoted mission to something that we do through something we call church when we gather. Moses. Uh, Tangent removed. Moses. He calls him by name calls him by name and he calls you by name and he fashions your past and your present and your future and your call is specific and vital and unique according to who he's called you to be and it's a huge call every call of God for every single person in this room is a huge call and it has one particular trait to it Your call is to free people. Moses, free my people. You know, as a church, we have a mission statement, a vision statement, a strategy document, all these things, and sometimes we get confused, and sometimes we, you know, but, but actually, we are about one thing, free people. That's what we're about. We're about seeing people free to be the people God has called them to be. We're about seeing people free from from real prisons and virtual prisons. We're about seeing people free, half people becoming whole people, lost people becoming found people, confused people becoming clear people because they encounter Jesus Christ and he changes lives. We're about seeing communities becoming everything that God had in mind when he put people together that they might evidence the glory of God. Free people with everything that you have, with with your past redeemed, and your future clear, and your present. It's a huge call. So first thing, God calls people. Second thing, just as simple, people resist God. People resist God. Which seems stupid, but that's what we do all the time, isn't it? I reckon probably the greatest, the biggest cause of the greatest frustration in human life is that we're resisting God. The greatest cause of the greatest frustration in Christian lives is that you're, you're resisting God. He's got a plan for your life and you're saying, no, thank you. 
He, he's got some sacrifice he wants you to move into because he knows that's going to be good for you. And you say, not, not today for me, thank you very much. And then we get frustrated. And once we get frustrated, instead of moving towards God, we move away from God. And then we say we're losing our faith and we blame God. Kind of pattern of it. People resist God. Take a look at Moses. Moses has the most incredible call of God, a burning bush. God speaks to him out of a burning bush. And then Moses starts to make excuses. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. When you begin to listen to these excuses, you're going to think that Moses is particularly pathetic. Because he sounds ridiculous. Look at verse 1. What if they don't like me or listen to me? We think oh, that's pathetic, but actually Moses, Moses has good reason for thinking this because 40 years earlier when he'd said, he tried to set the people free, they rejected him. And part of the reason I think that he ran and part of the reason that he was afraid to go back wasn't just because he thought he might get put in prison. It was because the people of God, his people, might just reject him. That's a huge thing. This is huge for us. It really is. It is amazing what they will keep us from in our lives. What will they think about us? They might reject me. They might ignore me. They might ridicule me. They might not accept me. That thought is so huge in so many people's lives. We are so afraid of people that that, that we don't evidence a fear of God. Sometimes we're even afraid of people who are dead and gone. Sometimes we're worried about what they might think or might have thought or or, or how they brought us up to be. And it stops us walking into the future that God has for us and the fullness that God has for us. This This is huge. Moses goes on. I'm not very good with my mouth. Verse 10. I'm not very good with my mouth. Moses felt disabled. Do you know, guys, there are a whole bunch of disabilities that you might feel you have. Some of you will feel disabled by your past. You're not disabled by your past, but that's the way you feel about it. Some of you will feel disabled by your education, your lack of it, or for some of you, too much of it. You're not in any way, shape, or form disabled by those things, but you you feel it and therefore it disables you. Some of you feel disabled by your age or your health or your emotions or your circumstances. Some of you feel disabled by an experience that happened to you that hurt you deeply but you haven't been able to see healing in it and move on from it. You're not actually disabled by that but you feel disabled by it so it disables you. Let me tell you what you're really disabled by. What really disables you is when, when God the Father says to you, This is who you are and this is what I call you to. And you say no. That disables you. That disables you in being who God called you to be. And that disables you in moving in the calling that God has placed on your life. That's when you're truly stuffed. It's interesting that God has an answer. God looks at Moses in Exodus chapter 4 verse 11 and he says this. Who makes mouths? Moses says, I can't talk. I'm not very good with my mouth. And God says, who makes mouths? I've called you to do something and you're giving me a reason why you can't do it, but I made your mouth. I'm not about to call you to something that I'm not about to equip you to do because I'm not a cruel God. So if you say yes, I'm going to equip you to be able to speak. Who makes, who makes mouths? Moses. And you would have thought, 
that Moses has experienced a burning bush and, and, and he's heard God speak in the burning bush and he's given two reasons why he can't do it and God has rubbished his reasons that he would shut up at that stage. But he goes on. Look at verse 13. I'm not as qualified as others. Really? But isn't that what we say? God says to us in some way, shape or form, you're sitting in a gathering or, 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 or someone speaks a prophetic word over your life or you read the scriptures and you go, that's what I'm for. And you get really excited and God says, I'm, I've got purpose for you. I've got calling for you. You're supposed to get involved in this world. You're, you're, you're part of my transformation plan for your town, for your city, for your family, for your neighborhoods. I'm going to equip you with everything you need. Come on. And you go, send somebody else. Perhaps more often than not, you say, I'm not equipped enough. Somebody else is. And I'll tell you how I know this, because I feel it all the time. God, in the last two or three years, has opened up a way for me to go and travel and speak at different conferences. And I go to big, big conferences, and I sit where Thomas is sitting right there. I don't know why it is. I think it's some OCD thing in me. I always sit at that angle. And I'm, I'm sitting there waiting to speak, and I get totally and utterly frozen with fear. Something comes over me. I think, I can't do this. They're not going to think I'm funny. I'm not clever enough. I'm going to go on too long. I'm going to rant. I'm going to embarrass myself. I'm going to say something. And then I start to do this. I say, do you know, the, the last person who spoke was cleverer than me, funnier than me. They know their Bible better than I know my Bible. They have an airplane story. They got the, all, all the stuff comes over me because I just don't think I'm qualified. And I don't think I'm able. And God has one very, very clear response and answer. And it's fascinating, and I love this. And this is where we're going to land the plane at some stage in the next hour or so. Exodus 3, verse 12. God told him, I will be with you. That's it. That's it. He doesn't say it's going to be okay, no one's going to hurt you, it's going to be not, not be too difficult, which is one of the things you could have said. He doesn't say what I would have said if I was God. What I would have said to Moses, oh, come on, Moses. I've been training, I trained you for 40 years in, in, in Pharaoh's palace. There is nobody more equipped than you as a networker. There's nobody who understands the ins and outs, the political shenanigans of Egypt. You're the perfect person. You've been wholly trained to do this task. Of course, you can do it. You can gather people. You're a leader. I've made you to be a leader. You spent 40 years in the desert learning how to do this thing. You're going to be, a, you were a shepherd there. You're going to be a shepherd. I would have done all that kind of stuff. And God doesn't say anything like that. He says, I will be with you because he wants to point to the fact that it's all on his ability, not on Moses's. Because if it's Moses' ability, he knows he can't do it. But God says, I can do it. And I will be with you. And maybe you came this evening and that's all you needed to hear. You just needed to hear, I'll be with you. Because you've got some change coming in your life and you don't know what the future holds. You're not sure about a job. You're not sure about the future. You're not sure whether you can handle life outside of where you are right now. And God says, totally you can, not because you can, but because I will be with you. Or maybe you've got a difficult situation happening in your life. Some of the relationships don't work. Some of the finances don't work. And you have no clue how you're going to square all these things. And you, God's got you here this evening just to say, I'm going to be with you. 
Or maybe God is tapping you on the shoulder right now. And as I've been speaking, he's been saying something about courage and your fear. And he's been saying, do you know what? You need to stop having fear. I'm going to give you courage. And you're petrified. And you're thinking, I can't do it. I can't speak. I'm not, I'm not very good with my mouth. Send somebody else. And God just says, I will be with you. It's not your ability that matters. It's your availability to his ability. And Moses doesn't even take that. I mean, check this out, verse 13, really quickly. He says, that's all well and good, but God, who are you? If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God says to Moses, I am who I am. Well, that's clear then. (laughs) God gives Moses the most enigmatic answer in the world ever. Tell me who you are. And what he's looking for, I think, is some concrete stuff. Tell me what you've done. Tell me your CV. Tell me how you can make these things happen. And I'll, I'll believe you and I'll trust you and it'll be good. And I can give them the CV and they can go, this is, he says, tell them I am who I am. And it is sheer genius on God's behalf. Because he's told him three things. And we haven't got a lot of time, but these three things. He says, do you know, I am who I am. I, I want you to tell people that I exist. I want you to tell people that I exist, that I do not change, and that I am totally able. That's what my name means. I exist. I mean, if, if I don't exist, Moses, to what do you account this beauty and this intricacy and this design in the world? What, what do you account the, the, the conscience that you have? To what do you account the desire to worship that you've got? To what do you account this stuff if I don't exist? I am and I do not change. I, I, I always was, I always will be and I am right now the God that I, that I am. I'm still in control of things. I've said what I'm going to say. I do what I'm going to do, and I am God, and I don't change. And you may have come into the building today wanting a whole bunch of things to change in your life, change some relationships, change some financial situations, change job. I, I, I don't know. But the one thing you do not want is God to change. That's why in James we're told there is no shadow of turning with God because you don't want God to change. Because if God is going to change, he's going to have to change away from his perfections. He's going to have to change away from perfect grace, perfect coverage, perfect love, perfect truth, perfect life. You do not want God to change. And God says, I am who I am. There is no shadow of turning with me. You can totally trust me. And I am able to provide for you. Moses. And you say, Carl, how do you get that from this passage? Well, you get it because God does this really cool thing throughout the whole of the rest of the Old Testament. He starts with his name, I am. And every time the people of Israel are in need of anything, he adds a new name to his name. So his name, I am, is the word Jehovah or the word Yahweh. And every time the people of Israel need something new, he adds another part to his name to reveal part of his character and say, I am able to provide for you. So they need food in the desert. And he starts to call himself Jehovah Jireh, the God who will provide. They need peace from war. And he starts to call himself Jehovah Shalom, the God who is peace. They need to know the presence of God. So he starts to call himself Jehovah Shammah, the God who is there. And again and again and again, God says, I am able to provide all your needs 
according to my riches in glory. So if I'm sending you, not only am I giving you the capability to do something, but I'm going to provide for you. You don't need to be anxious. You need to have faith to stand the whole of your weight of your life on the belief in your heart that I'm a good, good God. I am who I say I am. Moses, what's in your hand? What's in your hand? Moses, what's in your hand? Moses, I am who I say I am. Moses, I'm calling you to go free my people. Moses, what's in your hand? What what, what have I given you? No, no, no. Don't go around looking for something special or something new. Don't, don't, don't try and search for the idea or the plan. What's in your hand? What, what have I given to you? What have I called you into? What are the gifts that I've given you? What's the passion I've given you in your heart? What's the complaint that you have? Because if you press into that complaint, you're going to get a vision. If you press into the vision, you're going to get a team. If you press into the team, you're going to get a strategy. And then we're rocking and rolling. What's in your hand? I am who I say I am. God calls everybody to serve him. No passengers. And people resist God. Don't do it. So Moses has a burning bush moment. You probably will never see a bush burning like that. Not if you hang around in Scotland. Because when a bush goes on fire in Scotland, it goes out pretty quickly because it rains so much. You probably won't see it physically. But you will have burning bush moments all the time because God is always wanting to speak into your heart and life. It was just an ordinary bush. It's a routine day. He saw these bushes every single day. And in the middle of the routine, God shows up and he makes it non-routine because he reveals his presence and his power. And it may even be tonight is a burning bush moment. You came in here, no idea what was going to happen you come in here every week or you've come in here for the first time and, and God just shows up. And in the ordinariness of some songs that we sing and some scripture that we read and a guy ranting at the front, God just speaks. He says this, you serve me. Run with the dream. Reignite that dream. You think God can't use you, but he totally can. You've disqualified yourself because of your past. That's unhelpful. Because God is the one who loves to redeem pasts and restore people and call people with new hope. Or you've said send somebody else and you spent your life saying send somebody else and you stood static while everyone else is running with the dreams that God's placed and it's you that he's speaking to. It's a burning bush moment. Moses has to take his shoes off because it's holy ground. Moses has to take his shoes off because it's a moment when God wants to speak to him and you can't run very far in the desert with no shoes on. Just stop and tarry. So, we're going to pause and pray. And we're going to ask God what he wants to do. And we're going to respond to his word to us. And this evening I think that he wants to reignite some fires. He wants to remind us of some dreams. He wants to pour living water into dry and thirsty lives. And he wants to introduce some of you 
to his son for the first time. Because like um, Sam in our story, you're hungry and you're desperate and you need to encounter Jesus. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come. And we're so grateful for your presence. Would you just tarry with us for a while? Our hearts are, um, are open before you, an open book. And as you call us afresh, and as you remind us of what it cost you to be able to call us the life of your son, we just invite you in. Just let him come.